We've got less than 100 books left of our Twin Peaks Unwrap the Book. Get it at bluerosemag.com before they're sold out forever. Welcome to Twin Peaks Unwrapped. I'm your host, Ben Durant, and beside me is... Brian Kazaska. How's it going, Ben? Pretty good. We've got another community rewatch, and we've got a great group of panelists, and we'll start off with Joyce. Hi, how are you guys? Uh, I'm Joyce Picker, and I have written for 25 Years Later and Blue Rose Magazine, and I'm a Taurus. <laughs> hey everybody, I'm Robin Lynn Norris. I'm a fan of Blue Rose Magazine, a fan of 25 Years Later, fan of this podcast, and I am an Aquarius. So I'm Aaron Cohen. I am also a fan of everything previously mentioned as well. And you can find me on mainly Twitter at iMoveCard. And here are the unseen players. Hey, this is Julia Rollo, and I'm playing the narrator and Catherine. Hi, I'm Peter Holland, and I'm reading for Denise, Doc Hayward, and I'm doing a bit of narration as well. Hi, my name is Sophia Cuecas. I am playing Sarah Palmer and Josie. Hello, Twin Peaks Unwrapped community. This is Colt Wilson playing Special Agent Dale Cooper and Big Ed Hurley. Hi, this is Bob Clear. I'm playing the parts of Hank, Major Briggs, and Hawk. Hi, this is Caitlin, and I'll be playing Audrey and the narrator. Hello, my name is Maya Adkins, and I will be playing Eileen Hayward and Principal Grieg. Hi, this is Aaron Cohen, and I'm going to be playing Cooper and Major Briggs. Hi, this is Bill Abelson. I'm reading The Narrator and Dr. Jacoby. This is Diana Stavrilakis, and I'll be reading the parts of The Narrator and Phys Ed Teacher. Hi, this is Robin Lynn Norris. I'm playing Vivian and Norma. This is Andy Bentley. Today I'll be playing the part of Ernie the narrator, and another Andy. Hey, this is Joyce Picker, and this week I am portraying Nadine in episode 17. Also, I'm narrating the campsite at night with Cooper and Major Briggs and Marshmallows and perhaps an owl. Hi, I'm Diane Nelson. I'm playing Lana and the narrator. Hey, this is John Salinas from the Hellboy Book Club podcast. And I'm playing Pete Martell and narrating one of the scenes. And we hear some of those players are you guys. You guys are actually some of the performers. We're just so excited to you guys perform all these deleted unseen scenes. And you're actually here to, to talk about the episodes. That's, that's awesome. This is like the first time this has happened then, right? Actually having yeah. the players. Yeah, maybe one other time on. we had 25 years later, some of the people that were on from 25 yeah. years later site that came on. So we're covering two episodes. I call it seventeen eighteen or dispute uh, between brothers and basketball. It's, it's kind of actually fun. a pretty good episode, <laughs> basketball. I think. Uh, yeah, I, I, I'd say of these two, for me, it was by far the weaker of the two. I agree. That's why uh, I'm surprised. Yeah, out of these two, you're absolutely these two, right. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, there's some strong moments. I mean, in the in the first one, the uh, it's the episode seventeen here, the dispute between brothers. I mean, you always hear. I mean, obviously, this is where the show kind of dips a, a little bit overall. But I mean, for the for the episode just after the whole reveal, I mean, I, watching it again, there were a lot of really good moments. I thought in it. Yeah. So. Yeah, and this in the episode Mask Fall, at least we get to see Denise for the first time. That's, that's yeah, good. that's awesome. So yeah, good. It's a highlight. Palmer House Day, four days later, on the fireplace mantel, a still life, bouquet of flowers, with Laura's framed prom queen photo on one side and in a matching frame, a photo of Leland on the other. Moving over to the sofa, Sarah Palmer sits with Doc Hayward, holding her hand. She's dressed in black, and Doc's wearing a somber suit. Sarah, I'd like you to take this. No, Doc, I don't want it. I want to be there. Every single part of me needs to be there for both of them. Sarah looks at Cooper, struggling to understand. Today, I bury my husband next to my only child, her grave is still fresh. There's just a little bit of grass on it. She stops, numb with grief. Cooper leans in. Mrs. Palmer, there are things dark and heinous in this world. Things too horrible to tell our children. Your husband fell victim to one of them. Long ago, when he was innocent and trusting. Leland didn't commit these crimes. Not the Leland you knew. The man I saw, that disgusting long hair. He's gone forever. Laura and Leland have gone from this life to the next, but they're with you always, here and here. 
Cooper taps his head and heart. The experience we have of people doesn't leave when they do. If you close your eyes, you can see Laura blowing out the candles on her birthday cake, Leland mowing the yard, shaving at the sink. Sarah closes her eyes. Those moments are yours. Always. Sarah nods, grateful. Cooper glances at his watch. It's time. Sarah reacts. Reality intrudes. Cooper rises, offering her his arm. Mrs. Palmer, I'd be honored to drive you. So that's our first Unseen Scenes. And I think the real thing is, in the show, there's nothing like uh, Cooper saying, you know, close your eyes for Laura blowing out the candles and Leland mowing the yard. Do we think we needed it in the show or did it take away? I don't think so. I actually was, you know, reading the scene while watching it. And I like Mm -hmm. the TV edit much better because I think... This was a little cheesy. And then in the TV edit, he talks about actually what Leland did. And it's it's more serious. Mm. And, it, and so then you can juxtapose that with what he's saying about head and heart. So I thought whoever edited the writing did a fantastic job on that one. Yeah, I definitely agree on that. I just yeah. I think it was a little bit too much unnecessary. Another thing I really love that, that's in the TV edit is just Sarah touching her ear. And like Leland always you know found the other earring just like what a great Mm -hmm. simple sentence that says so much and that was uh i was just trying to analyze every little thing even though these episodes don't have everything's pretty straightforward i was thinking the missing earring is like the missing ring Mm. <laughs> Did they ever find it here? I'm stretching, but, but in 2021, all of a sudden they find Sarah's. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that, that's gonna be the plot point. I love that yeah. choice. That's great. <laughs> yeah, the giant is gonna give it back to her when she there discovers something. Right. And- right. I don't know if it's because of the the close-up shots or what, but when I used to watch this show, I used to think that it all took place in the same room. I thought like the food and 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 Sarah getting things like, even though Cooper says, "Oh, it's time to go." Some reason mm-hmm. in my head, I didn't realize we were at the Palmer house, and then we went to the Hayward house. I think for the wake. The wake. Yeah, she's sitting on a yes. couch in both scenes, so it does throw you off. Like I. Yeah rewatching it and i'm like oh yeah i always felt like they were already there and yeah was having that conversation with her um but also to go back to that scene when she's at the haywards and sitting down she says um i want to remember this and she she reminisces so i kind of feel like if you had that original scene plus that it's just kind of hitting it over the head too much because mm-hmm. uh, it pieces it perfectly she hears a couple bits of memories and she's like, I need to remember this. And I almost felt like it's like the first time too that Sarah's awake. She's the one who drugs. She's, she's not drugs. Yeah. Don't yeah. drug me, yeah. Yeah, she, she's not under the thumb of uh, Leland. Yeah. Kind of like an awakening for her too. I, yeah, they let her have this episode and then she wakes up and then we don't see her again till the end. Yeah, she's yeah. not there till the very final episode of season <laughs> yeah. two. Yeah. Like, so yeah. disappointing. Yeah. yeah. I, I do want to say a quick like, shout oh, we, out to we, the. We grieved too long here, so we got to move on from uh, from this grieving mother. It's... Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Real quick shout out to the food at the wake there. I don't know oh. if, when I was watching if I was just hungry or what, but it looked fantastic. It was like these spread of pies and cookies and deviled eggs. Like, oh my God. I remember that. I remember that from every time. Like, uh-huh. speaking, every time I watch it, I'm like, I want that food. Yeah. <laughs> I'll take some of that and some of that. Hayward House, late afternoon. Mrs. Palmer sits on the sofa with Audrey. Eileen Hayward has parked her wheelchair next to them. Hank steps into view. He leans over, sweetly handing Sarah a plate of food. Here you go, while it's hot. Thank you very much. Do you invite people to these things, or do they just show up? At a time like this, people just naturally come together. It's a time of reaching out. I remember when my mother died, there must have been a hundred people. I remember. Donna came to see Laura that night. They'd promised they'd be best friends for life. A bond against dying. Eileen reacts, feeling bad for bringing this up. No, please. I want to remember. Donna spent the night that night. Leland said not on a school night, but I said it was fine. I remember that too. Eileen takes Sarah's hand and squeezes it, two mothers loving their daughters. Cooper stands by the staircase with Truman and Dr. Jacoby, 
Major Briggs joins them. Welcome home, Dr. Jacoby. You appear to have fully recovered from your recent setback. Nothing beats the restorative powers of Hanalei Bay. Agent Cooper. What's next for you, sir? I'm not entirely sure. I've stockpiled a few weeks of vacation time. Now might be the time to cash him in. For starters, would you care to join me for an incredibly pleasant evening of night fishing? You can fish at night? Heightens the meditative quality. Beta brain waves increase precipitously. It sounds incredible. How does sundown tomorrow sound? Gentlemen, I'm grateful. I didn't know how I was going to leave, Twin Peaks. You've built me a bridge. I'm not saying goodbye. I'm going fishing. I thought it was interesting that, you know, you forget that, like, of course, Sarah and Eileen are, are somewhat friends because they're children are best friends i remember seeing eileen there it's like why is she even hanging out with sarah well it, it didn't feel right to me because i don't see them ever together even though their kids are best friends what do you guys think yeah that whole scene is interesting because it's like you never see them together it, audrey's randomly on the couch there which is also <laughs> another odd like pairing mm-hmm. didn't they have a dinner together uh where the haywards and the palmers were together and oh yeah of course let's get happy Yes. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. They did, yeah. You just don't Still see the two of them together talking. Right. Mm-hmm. It was more of a family thing, like the families hung out. But it was definitely a bond between Laura and Donna. Yeah, I, I thought it was weird. She's having this conversation about Laura and Donna being best friends. They took this serious promise. The death do us apart. Maybe they should have said yeah, it that way. But I felt like uh. Donna should have been sitting next to her, not right. Audrey. That yeah. makes no sense. A hundred percent. And I just want to say this, this wasn't on the unseen thing, but watching the thing, Donna lights up a cigarette in the house in front of Ed at her. I don't understand how that is appropriate or how she got away with that. Uh (laughs) (laughs) And then she took credit for everything going wrong. She's like, can two people in love cause all this? Uh, Mm -hmm. Yeah, Donna, this is all your fault. Uh, It's all your fault, Donna. Yeah, she should have been next to sarah but you're right like the cigarette and, and she's like it's all about me it's all about yeah. me everything's mm-hmm. about me like yeah it's weird she should have been next to sarah like bonding with her about that mm-hmm. promise maybe and mm-hmm. getting into that because that yeah. would have been more interesting uh shout out to was that you aaron is major briggs it, it was yeah that was <laughs> <laughs> that was good thanks yeah that was fun cole did a great cooper but we also have you play agent cooper as well aaron which is so much fun yeah, I had a lot of fun doing it. I mean, I love the character, and I mean, and it was just fun saying the lines too. So, I mean, the first scene kind of ties in with the second scene, and at the end of the second scene, there's the guys all hanging around with Cooper, and I, I do like this line. Briggs asks if he wants to go fishing, and uh, Cooper kind of says, "Oh, I'm not saying goodbye to Twin Peaks. I'm gonna go fishing." And I, I thought that was kind of a nice mm-hmm. line that didn't make it on the show. Yeah, I thought that was touching. Which I, there's a couple of moments. I mean, that that bit here that was cut. But I mean, of course, the, the scene where he does say goodbye to to Hawk, Andy, and to to Lucy there in the sheriff's station. I think it's a, a pretty great scene. Love that scene, yeah. yeah. They're all giving him this respect, all lined up. Has it been a few years we've been doing the community watches now for? It's been a few yeah. years. I think kind of once uh, season three ended, we were starting to do these community watch shows. I think I'm always open to. Um, anybody playing any character but it's always i don't know we've never really done a lot of like gender switches or anything like that but katie uh decided to play truman in this and uh, i thought she did a wonderful job and she plays truman throughout uh both episodes and i thought it was so much fun that she said hey i really like truman and i'm gonna i want to play him and i said sure and next time we have scripts go out to the the team I want to make sure people know that. It's like, hey, feel free to, you know, guys can play girl characters in the show and girls can play guy characters. And I don't think, we, we don't care either way, Brian, right? No, but it's, no, yeah. it was cool that Katie decided to take on Truman. Yeah, that's awesome. Somebody want to share what, what's something about this episode that they really were interested in? Uh, yeah, I'll give you mine because I love you posed that question. Mine was watching the Audrey Cooper scene, which is so gorgeous Hmm. with the reality of season three, Audrey and her, and maybe I feel like maybe someone has said this before, but it really hit me watching it this time, her saying those lines, like one of these days I'm going to grow up and Hmm. you know, Hmm. you better watch out. And just like, 
it hit my heart that it's like knowing what happens to her was so yeah. different. It's like, oh, so that, that's what stood out to me the most. Like I know that these two episodes are, like we said, are kind of panned a little bit, but there were some lovely moments. Yeah. 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 And I think a couple of lines from that scene that, that came to mind there, I mean, because Cooper says, I like you and I care about you, I'll always consider you my friend. And then Audrey kind of leaves it with, you know, there's only one problem with you, you're perfect. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's two pretty good lines there. Yeah, I always wanted them to be together. I, I was always pro Audrey Cooper. And well, as you can tell, I'm wearing a t-shirt right now with them. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Love it. Love it. Nice. But, uh, but nobody in the podcast can see it. That's okay. And we, we had John uh, Thorne on the last show. And we kind of got into this too. And it, it kind of messed up the writers because they had this whole arc they were going with Audrey and Cooper. And then to be able to say, no, we can't do that, I think they had to throw out and kind of rework stuff. In the conversations of Mark Frost's book, there's a, a couple of good sequences there where Mark talks a little bit about it and kind of some of the, the conversations I think he had with Kyle and things too. Mm. Which, I mean, that, that book's just fascinating. Yeah, yeah. conversations yeah. with Mark Frost, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, and that's what I always think of is the uh, Frost on Frost. You know, you have the Lynch on Lynch <laughs> books. It's yeah. like, it is, yeah, that's a great book just to have Mark Frost kind of sharing about his work and his life and stuff. Yeah, I, I can't recommend that enough. Interior, diner, morning. Norma is behind the counter, setting up for the day. Vivian helping, laying out napkins. Norma catches a look at herself in the mirror, then pinches her cheeks to give them color. You look marvelous. Suffering must agree with you. Why do you assume I'm suffering? This business, your marriage, it's hard on a body trying to do what you're doing. Mm. This is my life. That's the point I'm trying to make. Norma starts to respond to this latest affront when Hank and Ernie walk through the front door, all decked out in hunting gear, carrying rifles, which Hank is using to demonstrate. The sight on yours drifts left. Just aim a shade right. Behold the great white hunter. <laughs> Try not to shoot yourself in the foot, dear. Darling, I used to shoot skeet. Didn't I tell you? We're after bigger game today. When did this little junket come up? Ernie wants to see the wilderness. You know a better way? You girls mind the home front now. Hank takes Ernie's arm and pulls him back out the door as Ernie waves goodbye to Vivian. Vivian turns to Norma. Henry seems unusually fond of my Ernie. Hank says it's like they've known each other in a past life. Gives me a weird feeling. Hank's always given you a weird feeling. And that's Robin doing a Vivian. <laughs> that is so weird to listen to ourselves. <laughs> but it's also so fun to hear all the blanks filled in. I love yeah. it. It sounds great. You did a great job yeah. editing it together there. Oh, thanks. Yeah. And Robin, I love that you you give a few takes of Vivian and I'll like listen to the first one and say, oh, this is perfect. And then you'll give another take. Oh, this is the best one. And I'll hear another one. I'll like, say, oh, no, 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 this one's better. And like, it'll be just little things that you change or add an extra thing to. And I, it's so much fun. You do a great Vivian. Oh, thanks. It's <laughs> a silly character to do. And thank you. Yeah, so much fun. Thanks for having me. What I thought interesting about this was um, Ernie and Hank in the One Eye Jacks and saying, why are they wearing hunting uh, <laughs> hunting clothing? It didn't make any sense. It's like they're going to One Eye Jack to join the army or something or military. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But this kind of fills it in there. I think they're really mm -hmm. just trying to uh, pretend to be hunting so that they can go off and do scheming stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Mm hmm. They went to the same store when tomorrow goes to to get all the costumes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, there must be the Twin Peaks costume shop, right? I know. I party or something over there. I don't know. High school. Day. Administrative office. Vice Principal Greech sits behind his desk in conference with Ed Hurley and Dr. Jacoby. I want to be crystal clear about this. You're asking me to admit a 35-year-old woman to the senior class. Strictly for medical reasons. Greech glances at the file. Well, she never did actually graduate. As I recall, she left school to marry you, Ed. You got me there. We hear some voices outside, and Nadine bursts in the door. 
wearing a little pleated skirt, puffy-sleeved blouse, tennis shoes, and socks, hair in a ponytail, deep in teenland. Eddie, how much longer? Class is starting. We'll be right out, Nadine. Just a few more minutes. Guess what? Cheerleading tryouts tomorrow. I saw it on the bulletin board. That's great, honey. Why don't you practice your splits? Ed shuts the door and sits back down. Greech tries to recover. She's certainly trying to recapture that old school spirit. A classic case of clinical regression. Mr. Greech, what's important here is that uh, Nadine be allowed to maintain her own reality. Being 18 is all she can manage. And it could be a lot worse. Be glad she's not napping in a crib. Ed shudders. We will admit her under one condition. She has to perform like a regular student. Ed, my advice to you is you can forget hot dinners. Nadine will be busy doing her homework like every other senior. Ed nods, grimaces, another body blow. High school gym, day. Cheerleading tryouts. Nadine is next in line of auditioning girls. The PE teacher and Vice Principal Greech sits behind a table, judging. Behind them hangs a banner for the Twin Peaks steeplejacks. The cheering girl finishes off with a big jump in the air, touching both toes. The pep squad applauds. Nadine is waved forward and eagerly approaches the judges' table. Nadine Butler! I'll need your permission slip, please, Nadine. Permission? Signed by your parents. Oh, my parents are in Europe. She's okay. I've spoken to her husband, to her guardian. All right, Nadine. Let's start you off with tumbling. Nadine bounces over to center stage. A male cheerleader stands by to spot her. He rolls his eyes, condescending. Nadine, grinning ear to ear, walks backwards, further and further as if this were her routine. We hear a few laughs. With a little jump, she starts running forward and does a front flip, followed by another front double flip into a series of cartwheels landing right in front of the aghast male cheerleader. She picks him up by his waist and tosses him into the air. Corkscrew! And he indeed spins through the air across the gym, landing on the mat on top of the wrestlers. The coach looks from the hapless cheerleader over to Nadine, very impressed. Nadine beams proudly, barely out of breath. I mean, I, mean, I thought this scene, it, well, it's, I suppose, unnecessary. I, I thought it was an interesting scene to read there. I mean, it gives some explanation as to why she's really there back at school and things. It's interesting to see how they edited the show because there's things that... Ed'll say, and it was really in relation to something else that was happening. I, I don't know if it was uh, like, you're the reason she didn't finish high school. And, you know, and then Ed says uh-huh. something. And, it, and the way they edited it differently in the show, though, as though he's responding to something else, which I, I, is kind of interesting. Mm-hmm. Right. In the dialogue they give in the deleted scenes, there's actually moments of humor they missed out on. Joyce, you did a great job. And Thank you. Did. I love it. Thank you. It was so much fun to hear you play Nadine. Did you have fun doing it? Oh, that was a fun character. I knew yeah. I wanted to play somebody who's a little out there, and <laughs> that was a good one. It was a lot of fun uh, to do. I think both PE teacher and the principal kind of dance around Nadine as though, oh, you have a guardian, or it's not, <laughs> you're not your husband. It's like... <laughs> She's still, because, I mean, in the show, I think she says, oh, mom and dad are off on vacation or something like that. But, right. Aaron, what is uh, something that interests you about this episode? Yeah, so for me, really, my favorite scene from this one, and, and I had, it went back and forth between this and Cooper saying goodbye at the sheriff's station. Uh, it's the, the whole green butt skunk conversation <laughs> there with, with Sheriff Truman. I just, I, it, it's such a, a touching scene there. I mean, Cooper, like he seems he's on the verge of tears. Says Harry, I'm I'm honored beyond my ability to express myself. And and, and also, I mean, the whole I don't, I don't know. I, I think Ben and Brian, you, you know Ashley Raskowski, don't you? I think you've come across her before. Yeah. She yep. she has a, a cosplay of the green butt skunk, which is just <laughs> hilarious. And she had people guess what it is. She's like, and it's there. She wore it back at last year at Arkansas. The uh, kind of Twin Peaks. Uh, not festival, but I mean, Twin Peaks gathering there. And 
tried to get people to guess what it was and really nobody could guess, but the moment she says it, she has green butts coming. It's like, oh yeah, there's a the little hook there and there's the whole green section. So, so it's a unique awesome. cosplay yeah. of, a, uh, of a scene that I like a lot. Yeah, in the patch, you get the- uh, Yeah, yeah Bookhouse Boy patch too. Yeah, yeah, so cool. Double R Diner, night. Cooper sits in a booth drinking coffee and studying a small portable chessboard wearing jeans and a flannel shirt. Truman walks in, relieved to see Cooper, and sits opposite. Who are you playing with? Wyndham Earl, a formidable opponent. Cooper moves his pawn, then writes his move down on a piece of paper. He puts the note in an envelope, already addressed to Wyndham Earl, Personals Department, USA Today. I've been looking all over for you. I went to the library, took a walk, got hungry. What was at the library? William O. Douglas, a man from this neck of the woods and one of the great ministers of justice. I was seeking inspiration and I found it there. Preparing your defense? Yes. Douglas said in times of trouble a man should immerse himself in wilderness. I'm going fishing. You know, Harry, somewhere between William Douglas and the Dalai Lama lies the perfect man. Their attention is drawn to Norma, angrily folding up all the tablecloths and dumping them in a box behind the counter. Norma appears to be quite upset this evening. That damn food critic finally wrote a review. Ran this afternoon in the Seattle paper. That bad? To call it scathing would be kind. Cooper reaches for the check. Truman takes it. Let me. I'm the one who still has a paycheck. Harry, your aces. Excuse me. Cooper rises, moves to Norma. Norma? You know what they say? A critic is a legless man who teaches running. Oh, did you read it? It doesn't matter. You couldn't keep people out of here if you tried. You're very nice to say so. Thanks. Harry, it's time to put that green butt skunk to work. I mean, they cut this whole scene from the episode, yeah. right? Or am I? Yeah. yeah. I just thought it was interesting. I was like, they, they cut a lot. I noticed in the deleted scenes, a lot of the Wyndham Earl references and... Mm. Um, Mm -hmm. I'm not sure what the why that was, but when you're watching the episodes, it's so whittled down to the point where I was like, oh yeah, Wyndham Earl. And in these deleted scenes, they referenced him and chess a lot. And it's funny because mm -hmm. Mark Frost said, years later, he said, maybe we should have had more, uh, we should have jumped on that quicker with, mm. with Wyndham Earl because it seemed like it, it took too slow to get to you know, that other storyline. And yet they kind of had, yeah, right. In the scripts, you'd see that they had it laid out to really focus on him. I like this scene too. I like Cooper's, you know, William Douglas and Dalai Lama and just kind of introspection. Yeah. He goes to yeah. the diner to think about things. It's nice. Right. Is, did you play Norma on this, Robin? Oh, you, I did, yeah. <laughs> I had to play Norma and Vivian. <laughs> awesome. And I do love that it ends with, uh, you know, Harry, it's time to put the green but skunk to work. So I do like that. Yeah. Yep. You can't say the phrase green butt skunk enough. <laughs> uh, I love the way Cooper says it too. He's just like green butt skunk. Yeah. It really accentuates each piece. And you know, I didn't put this together either. I mean, maybe because I think it was part of the deleted stuff is that Harry says when they're still at the Hayward house, oh, I've got some fishing stuff you can borrow from me so, what, so you can go fishing. And so that whole thing of when he gives that uh, green butt skunk, he really is trying to give him fishing supplies to go on his trip and stuff. But these, I mean, these aren't important, but it's still kind of interesting to see what they, they were thinking of doing. Bringing us to season three, the one line when he says to Hawk, if I ever go missing, I hope you're the oh, one that finds yeah. me. Yeah. Uh, yes. yeah, I think that's a great line here. Yeah. And I'm sure it's, it seems like Hawk was in the woods all the time looking for him. You know, he'd be around uh, the sycamore trees, but he just couldn't find him. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I know. We all saw it. You're like, what are you, you're right there. You're right there. Right. Just, you know, bring him back. <laughs> <laughs> Joyce, do you want to say something about this episode? Is there anything that interests you in this episode? Uh, yeah. Well, this is kind of obvious, but it goes at the very end. I mean, the, the relationship and the campfire talk with, uh, with Major Briggs and Cooper. Oh yeah. And we get the beginning of what's going to happen the rest of the series, but very little information. It's just kind of a little nugget he gives out. 
until he disappears. And then we see a little bit of the supernatural stuff with a flash of light and a hooded figure and, and an owl's point of view. I thought that was really well done. Campsite night. Surrounded by towering Douglas firs, Cooper and Major Briggs sit by their campfire, putting marshmallows on sticks. Fishing gear dries against a tree. The remains of their dinner, trout bones and heads, lay on tin plates. Major, this is a fascinating concept. The other side of love is not hate, but fear? Absolutely. And fear is the absence of love. For yourself as well. All perceptions or conditions must begin with the self. They put their marshmallows over the fire. So when I let fear into my life, I'm not loving myself. You are in direct contradiction to a state of loving acceptance and capable of it. Direct denial. Major Briggs, if I may ask a personal question. Do you love yourself? Very much. Cooper's fascinated. He rotates his marshmallow in the fire. Then it stands to reason that Leland Palmer didn't. One could draw that conclusion. There are powerful forces of evil in the world. It is some men's fate to confront great darkness. We each choose how to react. If the choice is fear, then we become vulnerable to darkness. Cooper looks around at the literal darkness surrounding him. Tomorrow I face my own demons, Major Briggs. But thanks to you, I believe I will do so without fear. I carefully considered my actions before proceeding. I went forward. I must accept the consequences. You can do no more. An owl hoots somewhere in the woods. They look for it, a reflective pause. Major, I think about Bob, if he truly exists. I have pondered the same question continuously since this horror was revealed to us. I try to imagine him, it, out there somewhere, lurking, searching for prey. Terrible. Yes, but remember, we have a choice. To think about it in that way, to fear it, imparts power to evil. There are ways to resist. You, sir, are blessed with certain gifts. In this respect, you are not alone. Have you ever heard of the White Lodge? Cooper takes a bite of marshmallow. The White Lodge? No. Excuse me, mine is now seared to perfection. Briggs pops the whole blackened marshmallow into his mouth. Cooper rises. I'll be right back, Major. Call of nature. There's nothing quite like urinating in the open air. I look forward to hearing about the White Lodge. The Major, his mouth full, gives a thumbs up. Yeah, I I like this scene. I I like the extended dialogue there. And I mean, it's just, it's a really good scene anyway between Major Briggs and Cooper. And I thought just having more of it, I I didn't think there was anything here that really necessarily needed to be cut. Right, cut just to, to slim the episode down time-wise, though. And this is really setting up that whole, uh, you know, fear and love open the door at the end of the season where, you know, mm-hmm. yeah, you have to have courage and you have to have love mm-hmm. and don't let fear take you over. And and I do love that Cooper is like, it's like, do you love yourself, Major Briggs? Most <laughs> 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 definitely. <laughs> I mean, in some ways, isn't that a great advice for us all that we should all love ourselves? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yep. Yeah, I really like this dialogue. I think that it was, um, they truncated it a lot. And I think that Mm -hmm. makes sense. And the edit was done so well. Like to Joyce's point, I love that ending where it's like they get separated and then, you know, Briggs hears the owl, then Coop hears the owl and the flashes. And Mm. But reading the dialogue, it, it was interesting because there's a lot of philosophical, you know, points in here that I enjoyed reading. That scene, the last scene, um, two things it's like a foreshadowing about what later what cooper will have to do obviously but also i feel like this scene sets your mind up about the one-armed man turning into an owl in that one scene (laughs) (laughs) because you see the owl you think bob is out there right and then my brain correlates the two and then the one-armed man jumps out of a window and I thought the same thing, and Ben's always thought that he turned to an owl. So I kind of feel like the scene hmm. kind of... Brian's been hanging out with me too much now. Because I know. I, you know <laughs> I, I'm obsessed with believing that the owls are the spirits, and they're, they are Bob and Mike and stuff. And they they're are. watching. 
I agree, though. It's definitely. Yeah. The TV Guide ad around this time was like new mysteries, and 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 they had pictures of different characters from Twin Peaks, and one of them was an owl, and underneath the heading of the owl says Bob and stuff like that. So it was like these new oh. mysteries. So like clearly, TV Guide at least was associating the owls with the spirits and Bob. And then and then I question where you know this at the end of this episode we see a light and it looks like it could be a big owl or some kind of big hooded. The hooded figure that we see in one of the later episodes, they kind of do a side view of the hooded Mm -hmm. figure. Yeah, yeah. Maybe when Major Briggs returns or something. Yeah. Or maybe with the dweller on the threshold. Ah, I like that. I do. Yeah. Yeah. And also, I think I always correlate that one scene to the very first episode of the X Files thinking, I wonder if they're all <laughs> happening at the same time. Right, because they're out in the woods, there's a big white light. And it's like, happening again. Yeah, it's happening again. Yes. All you need is yeah. the X there, too. Yeah. <laughs> episode 18, Masked Ball. Uh, Joyce, do you want to share anything about this episode? What, what are your thoughts about this? Well, as I said, it was a great welcome to see Denise slash Dennis Bryson for the first time. Yeah. Uh, I think... Uh, you guys cover it in your book, I think, is uh, the first time they had a character like that on primetime television. Yeah, one of the first, yeah. Yeah, I think sure. So. Yeah, and, you know, David Duchovny, there you go. X-Files, the same time. Right. Uh-huh. It's, it's all one episode. So there's all alternate universes, dimensions happening at the same time. <laughs> I think that proves it. And the wedding, uh, it's a bit of a mess. It's it's just, it's nonsense. I'm sorry. Yeah. Yeah, It is is really silly. And like, I do go back to the first season and like, I feel like every scene, even when there was different storylines, you felt like they were somehow all connected. Like maybe Hank was somehow involved with Laura Palmer's death, even though he was scheming with Joe. I don't know what it was, but they had, it was so tight that you felt like, even if you weren't focused on Cooper, somehow the the, the town were all in it together. And now it just seems like silliness. It's just getting off the wall. (laughs) Yeah, it, it seems really splinter with this one. I mean, you have the whole, Andy, Dick, and Lucy dynamic. You have James on his own journey here where he now meets oh. Evelyn Marsh, which I mean, just speaking about James from, I mean, you start the episode with him on the motorcycle there, which, which apparently that's actually footage from Washington State that was filmed during the pilot that yeah. they then used during this episode. And that song, the whole, every time you see him, the whole thing with his sunglasses. Let's leave Twin Peaks and do another story outside the town. Even the show is called Twin Peaks. Uh-huh. And, and, you know, seeing James driving his motorcycle, I always think to myself, he is going out into the world with only $12. No, he doesn't even have $12 yet. He has oh, to, he didn't have has $12. Call, he has to call Ed about his oh, $12. Oh, that's yeah, right. He, he had have zero dollars. <laughs> he has zero. zero dollars. He forgot his $12 on his, uh, his bed something. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I agree. Joyce, you're right. This this episode is where things kind of start going a little off the rails. I like <laughs> that opening shot with James just because I was uh, I was on board with it. I was like, I like some of the cheesy stuff sometimes too. Um, but you're right. He goes out in the world. He has no money. And then also, <laughs> even the costuming. I don't know if you noticed in the Evelyn James scene that purple sweater he was wearing. It's like puffy. It's hu- it doesn't look like something James would wear at all. Uh-huh. The next time you watch it, it's just like, what? They were, everything was just slightly off, you know? I was on board with it still, because I love the show, but uh-huh. yeah. So it's very soap opera-esque. Yes. Mm-hmm. And I mean, when he meets Evelyn there, and they have the whole kind of callback, too, I guess, to, to in the pilot, where Bobby on the jukebox turns on mm-hmm. that same song, I'm Hurt mm-hmm. Bad. It's kind of like, oh, this is interesting, like... And you're thinking maybe at that point, if you're watching it for the first time, there must be something here tying this all together. Maybe in, in hindsight, there really isn't. Um, yeah. But I, I don't know. It's it's an interesting scene. I mean, uh, not not my favorite plot line, but it's it's interesting to see. Right. It was a nice shot, though, that jukebox uh-huh. shot of James. Yeah, like, well, you know, Dwayne Dunham directed this, and there were some really nice shots on it, I thought. Mm-hmm. The motorcycle shot is an awesome, with that music, I think it's kind of cool. It's a cool mm-hmm. intro to the episode. 
Yeah. I think because yeah, I've so. seen it so many times, I, my, my first thought is like, oh no, we're going into this storyline. <laughs> and it's nothing to do with the great shot or James. It's just like you, you, that, that sound makes me like, oh, we're going into this storyline. No. <laughs> I do like seeing Charlotte Stewart uh, make their appearance again. Uh, this episode here where she talks there with Cooper and Truman and says, oh yeah, mm. don't worry about it. Like, you know, Garland does this all the time. He disappears. You know, it's classified. Can't share more about that. Uh, I like that scene. Sometimes she just seems like, oh, she's the the wife at home doing her stuff. But you realize, oh no, she she gets it. She knows what's going on with her husband, and she understands about how things have to be classified and stuff. And I thought there was a whole other layer to her that, mm-hmm. that that just that scene. Yeah, I loved that scene actually, and I had forgotten about it. I don't know why. I was like, oh, uh-huh. Ed Briggs was at the sheriff station. Yeah, yeah, it's a good scene. Yeah. And you get the one line from, well, Gordon Cole, where, well, it's a whole conversation, but then at the end it leaves it on, let a smile be your umbrella. I like yeah, that. I love that. Truman's office, day. Hawk and Truman enter to find Cooper, pouring coffee from a pitcher on Truman's desk. Harry, nine years ago, I joined the Bureau because I felt it was the strongest statement I could make about the man I wanted to become and the world I wanted to live in. And now, suddenly all that's brushed aside. I have absolutely no responsibilities, nothing to do, and it feels fantastic. Cooper sips from his cup, looks up at Truman with a disbelieving stare, then suddenly spits coffee halfway across the room. Truman shakes his head in amusement. Lucy's been helping out with the Milford wedding. Cooper puts down the cup. Sorry about that. That's all right. We still need to clean up Pox. Drain water. Harry... Last night, Major Briggs planted a seed in my mind, and it's been germinating. The idea that by focusing on our fears or desires about something, we give them tremendous power. Consider this, Harry. Perhaps by our best-intentioned resistance of evil, we somehow unknowingly join hands with it. Perpetuate it. And now, being suspended, I'm suddenly empowered to let go of my preoccupation with wrongdoing. I feel like I've been exiled back to the natural rhythms of life. Well, if you ever come to feel you need a home base, there will always be a job here for you in Twin Peaks. Harry, in a world of continuing disorder, you are a rock. Oh, Mrs. Briggs called. The notes beside Major Briggs' bed? A rather detailed grocery list and a small endearment. Nothing more. Hawk, Harry, have either of you heard of a place called the White Lodge? Can't say that I have. Hawk's initial reply is a look of concern. Where did you hear of it? It was the last thing Major Briggs mentioned before he disappeared. You know of it? Hawk is a cautious look at Harry. Cooper, you may be fearless in this world, but there are other worlds. Tell me more. Local legend. The White Lodge is a place where the spirits that rule man and nature reside. That's a place I'd like to see. Many have tried. They say it exists only on the spiritual plane. Maybe I'd better pull up a chair. There is also a legend of a place called the Black Lodge. The shadow self of the White Lodge, a place of dark forces that pull on this world. A world of nightmares, shamans reduced to crying children, angry spirits pouring forth from the woods, graves opening like flowers. Dangerous. The legend says every spirit must pass through there on the path to perfection. There you will meet your own shadow self. My people call it the dweller on the threshold. But it is said that if you confront the Black Lodge with imperfect courage, it will utterly annihilate your soul. Holy smokes. I liked this quote that's not in there, I don't think, but it's like, perhaps by our best intentions, resistance of evil, we somehow unknowingly join hands with it and perpetuate it. Yeah. I thought that was a really interesting concept. And I don't know that they hit that as much you know, they hint at it a little bit, but um, I really liked that, actually. Well, I was thinking, you know, a lot of people have the arguments on whether we've seen the Black Lodge and the White Lodge. I think when the when the Black Lodge is described here as you meeting your shadow self, I think it's obvious that the very last episode of season two, mm-hmm. that Cooper is meeting a shadow self. And even in season three with the arm talking calmly, you know, with one and then all spazzy in the other, that's definitely the Black Lodge in my opinion. Oh yeah. Uh, yeah. Doppelganger. Yeah. <laughs> the double, the evil. And, and, I, and I think this scene, but the unseen scene in on the show, 
this is the first time you hear the words Black Lodge, right? When he says yes. that? I think yeah. so. That. Yeah, it is. Cooper's room, late afternoon. Cooper stands at his window, tape machine in hand. Diane, I am standing at the window of my room at the Great Northern, looking down at the wedding of Dougie Milford and his youthful bride. The ceremony appears quite simple. The groom, commencing his fifth marriage, has apparently honed the procedure down to the bone. The reception will be starting shortly, and a good deal of alcohol will undoubtedly be consumed in order to accommodate our culturally prevalent rally discomfort with mystery and ritual. Cooper turns from window, sets down recorder, begins to dress, speaks while peering in mirror. Diane, I anticipate your question. I am not down among the revelers because my mind is burdened with questions. What's become of Major Briggs? What is the true significance of the White and Black Lodge? Has the Major, clearly a man of no small spiritual advancement, perhaps been attempting to make contact with some element of these places in his top-secret work? Briggs is a man of clear eye and deep thought. He sees right through the illusory texture of this world and fluently reads beneath it. You might meet a handful like him in a lifetime. But if what Hawk has related to me about the Black Lodge is true, even a man of Briggs' considerable fortitude would be tested to his ultimate limits. In an even darker corner of my thoughts is my old partner, Wyndham Earl, the man who, prior to his utter mental and emotional collapse, burned with a brilliance I doubt I will ever see the equal of. Add to that the things I've witnessed here at Twin Peaks, the tremendous evil forces that linger on the periphery of this genuine, spirited little town, the darkness Laura Palmer submitted to, the vortex that swallowed and consumed Leland Palmer. Diane, as a human being learns and matures, one's experiences grow proportionately more rich and mysterious. Perhaps the questions I now seek answers to lie beyond the old parameters, beyond my life at the Bureau. The phone rings. Cooper clicks the tape recorder off, picks up the phone. Cooper. Yes, Denise. I'll be right down. Cooper hangs up, stands to put his coat on, clicks on the recorder one more time. Diane, when I've got a bit more time, remind me to tell you about Agent Bryson. Cooper monologues are great, and I had, I had so much fun playing this one. I mean, the, the second bit where he goes into a little bit of detail about Major Briggs and the Black Lodge and what he's heard, I, I thought it was a lot of fun. I thought everything about this, really, I, I would have loved to have seen it in the episode there. I think it's a good little bit here. And, you know, I, I felt like around this time we started having less Cooper talking to Diane, and maybe they just mm -hmm. cut him out. I mean, maybe they were just like, oh, we don't need these monologues. We'll just focus on the silliness or something. I don't know. But Yeah, and I, I'd be curious how many more monologues. monologues. Yeah, how, I'd be curious how many more monologues Cooper really does to Diane that are in the show after this. Yeah. I, mean, I, don't I think yeah. there's a lot. Considering yeah. a lot of the mess of this episode, I think they should have. I'm, so, I'm so bad. A lot of, <laughs> they should have included more of Cooper. That's what's the problem. Like this right. monologue that Cooper did to Diane. You know, mm -hmm. uh, it there was too much lacking of him in this episode. Right. Yeah, I call the scene, my mind is burdened with questions. But I, he, he really just does that, have questions. Like he just like, maybe all questions the audience would have. Well, what about this? What about Major Briggs? What about that? And mm -hmm. I think that's sometimes good to be like, the writers are also saying, I understand you have questions. We're going to work on answering them, I guess. Maybe, yeah. Maybe. Yeah. <laughs> Robin, do you want to share something about anything that interests you about this episode? Yeah, I mean, it's not in the unseen scenes. I, I agree with Joyce. I love... Denise Bryson. I love that scene. Her intro scene is fantastic. All their reactions. My favorite thing in this episode, though, is Ben Horn. I absolutely could watch him act all day long in that scene with him and Hank. At just when he gets, he's watching the home videos, but then the aftermath when he gets called out and told he no longer runs One-Eyed Jacks and just kind of his brain, he just goes through this meltdown and then he's yeah. watching the whole video. There's so much emotion and he's just, you know, quoting Shakespeare. And I, I think it's brilliant acting. I just love it. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, so good. Yeah. I don't think it's in the script, but I think it maybe it's Richard Beamer himself. He's like, "You're out, Ben. You're out." Yeah. Like oh. at the end, it's the best. He yeah. says yeah. it like ten times. The show, I love, out, it. I just love it. You're out. You're out. <laughs> there's, there's a time in, the, in that scene where he becomes Jack Torrance. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and I like the end of the scene where he starts with the little shadow puppets, right? He yeah. Starts with his hands. Yeah. Like, oh boy, there you go, Ben. <laughs> Great Northern Bar wedding reception night. A mix of local townspeople and Dougie's friends in the room. Cooper, Truman, and Denise are at the bar. Audrey Horn, approaching Cooper, who pivots slightly on his bar stool, folding them into a semi-private exchange. Excuse me, didn't you rescue me once? That's one version of the story. One last dance? Cooper accompanies her off the dance floor. Denise sways slightly. It is now just he and Truman, and Andy hovering nearby. I love this music. Denise waits for a response. God, I uh, feel a little awkward. I, uh, would you... Truman's eyes widen with understanding. It's a waltz. Not that it really matters what it is. Oh, I'm not much of a dancer. May I have this dance? Thank you. Denise takes Andy's arm as they move over towards the floor. He's a nice guy, but everybody's got their limits. Dance floor. Pete and Lana dancing with a surprising compatibility. You dance like a scream. Thanks. You move very smoothly, too. Thanks. Lana looks at him with bubbly respect. Move off to Cooper dancing with Audrey. I heard you might be in trouble. Trouble in this instance, Audrey, may be a door to a new way of looking at the world. I guess you could say that about everything you do. That's my hope, Audrey, and my aspiration. Well, if you ever decide to come down off the mountaintop and mingle with us regular folks, I'd like to hear some of your stories. It's a deal. I hope they're interesting ones. Audrey smiles. He returns it. Andy and Denise dance. Denise is an excellent dancer, and surprise, so is Andy. Something absurd and sweet in Harry's gentlemanly acceptance. Couples now swirl in a celebratory rhythm. It's interesting to see the script and how they were doing the pacing and how everybody ended up dancing, because some... I think we were just like kind of thrown into it in the show where everybody's all mm-hmm. of a sudden dancing. And it's like, why is Andy dancing with Denise? Not, with Denise. Yeah. Was, nothing wrong with that. It just seemed odd. Like, where did this come from? Where's Lucy? <laughs> I mean, like, <laughs> and, and Lucy's not in this entire episode, right? Yeah. They have the stand-in. Like, it's just interesting. They're like, oh, yeah, Lucy's gone somewhere. Right. I think, yeah, she's helping. Yeah. She's helping. She's helping the wedding, but she's not yeah, at yeah. the wedding. She's not Great at point. the wedding. Yes. Isn't that funny? Yes, you're right. Because I think, I don't yeah. know, it was Truman that basically says, oh, we have a temp today because yeah, it's a temp. <laughs> Lucy's helping at the wedding. You're right. She, and then mm-hmm. she's not even there. Right. <laughs> also, yeah. we see that shot of Andy and Denise dancing. Mm-hmm. That's probably it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And I like in the really scene where it has Andy talking with, with Denise there, and I guess Denise kind of approaches Truman first and then, then ends up with Andy. And it says Andy gallantly inserts himself. So I, I kind of like that. I think it would have been a cool thing to see. Yeah. yeah. I like that there's like this um, awkwardness of Denise wanting to have a dance. And yeah, Harry's not comfortable with that. But Andy's like, mm-hmm. sure. <laughs> And we get a little bit of Cooper and Audrey together, which again, it's kind of nice. It's funny to see that like, they're still kind of having this playful thing that, but at some point you're yeah, at, the, the writers are going to have to kind of break them up. Mm-hmm. Never mm-hmm. to be seen. I mean, they, I guess they come together. Do they? No. At some point they really are split up. I mean, they're just yeah. kind of mm-hmm. doing their own thing. Yeah, You have John Justice Wheeler come into the picture. Yeah. Him and his sweaters <laughs> take her away. <laughs> um, don't they have a scene where... Uh, Coop is talking to Denise about what happened and Denise is like well I was wearing women's clothes or you know or during one uh, FBI investigation and he found them really comfortable yeah and I found yeah. it funny because women's clothes are not comfortable uh-huh. <laughs> I like to think dresses are comfortable, but maybe they're not. I don't know. No. I've never worn dresses. You guys have it so much easier. Yes. <laughs> you do. But I do love that scene, actually. I, I think, you know, because it's like him saying, I, I feel more myself, which is lovely. And it's interesting because you have all this goofiness in this episode, mm. and yet Denise is so grounded and all of the reactions around her are so grounded. It's just... I think really lovely. 
But Joyce is right. It is, I'm not going to dress up in heels and a suit and put on all that makeup if I don't have to. Yeah, right. pantyhose are the, are, were made by the devil. Uh, <laughs> I think we really have to give it to David Duchovny uh, on, on how he betrayed Denise. Mm-hmm. And I think, he, and he said in one of his interviews, maybe on a DVD or something, that I think, he, you know, he, he got into makeup and he got into the outfit and stuff and he realized, you know what, this will play better by downplaying it. Like, I think originally he was going to play it up more and stuff. And I, and he was right. He made the right call that, like, you didn't need to overplay it. Yeah, it wouldn't have aged well either. If he played it, because, yeah, he mentioned, like, should I play this humorously? But I think once he was into that character, uh, he felt differently. But yeah, it would not have aged well at all if it went mm-hmm. in that direction. Mm-mm. Blue Pine Lodge, night, close on a framed photograph on the table. It is a close-up of Andrew Packard. Josie Packard enters this living room and takes a seat. Catherine Martell sits assuredly across from her behind the desk. Thank you for seeing me. Catherine says nothing. Her eyes give a quick glimmer of amusement. Believe it or not, I came here to help you. Catherine's exhale of disbelief. I won't waste your time. Your brother, my husband, Andrew Packard, was killed by a man named Thomas Eckhart. Eight years ago, Andrew got the better of Eckhart in a business deal. Eckhart never forgets a slight. He sets an hour aside every day to think about how he will ruin his enemies. In this case, I was his answer. He introduced me to Andrew. I was to make Andrew fall in love with me, marry me, and eventually help Eckhart kill him. Josie pauses, awaiting Catherine's response. She looks back in quiet arrogance. Uh, Dear, your slip is showing. Excuse me? Tell me something I don't already know. Eckhart is the most evil man I've ever known. His design was to ruin the Packer family, not just Andrew. I've escaped him for the moment, but he'll come back for me and for you. That is why I'm here. How endearing. Catherine, you're in terrible danger. You help kill my brother, try to cheat me out of my land, my family's lifeblood utterly destroy my existence and now you want to save me i had to do those things to stay alive there is no one else i can turn to my insurance payment has been held up pending an arson investigation ben gave me a five million dollar check that is utterly worthless how unfortunate i have no money i'm at your mercy having tired of this entertainment Catherine moves a pawn forward. Enough. Save your tears. Be practical. What do you propose we do? I don't know. Catherine's thoughtful moment. Josie watches her. Then I'll tell you. From now on, you work for me. Here at the house, as a maid, you'll move your things to the servants' quarters. If you disobey me, if you lie to me, If you contradict a single thing I tell you, I'll find this Eckhart myself and feed you to him by hand. Is that clear? Josie is shocked, chastened. Speak. Yes, I understand. Fine, we'll talk about this Eckhart and what we plan to do another time. You may go to your room. Yes, thank you. I'll take breakfast at seven in my room. Coffee, juice, dry toast, oatmeal. Yes. Catherine smiles. Sweet dreams. A lot of it is in the show, but it's still, I think it, it, the script is great. I mean, I think mm-hmm. it's great that you get a little more backstory, Thomas Eckerd and the relationship. And I actually something, some, I always thought it was so convoluted. It's like, oh, okay, God, yeah. why is Josie here? And then she really works for somebody else. And then she's got these deals, mm-hmm. of course, that we're trying with Ben Horn. And it was just, it got so convoluted. And I think some of this dialogue would have helped out a lot. Mm-hmm. or yeah. would have made it worse <laughs> it, it is quite a complex the whole all of it is just very yeah yeah you but... need you know like that meme of the guy with the string and all uh-huh. the pictures i mean <laughs> the red string and... yeah your brain hurts like hearing them talk about everything like and then 
Eckhart walks out from behind the door. I'm alive all along. Yeah, and you're like, (laughs) okay, do I care about any of this? This is so convoluted. I I will say, if you want a good laugh, ask ask, uh, Scott Ryan sometime about his thoughts about the Josie uh, plot there and and just the whole scheming. He he has a good take on the... Oh, my God. I can't unthink Uh, of it. When every time I watch it now, I think of Scott's rant. Uh What does he say? You know what? I can't do it justice. Yeah, we can't do it justice. You you know Scott Ryan, Joyce. I mean, you can't. Oh, yeah. Aaron, any other thoughts about this episode? Yeah, I think a couple notes just kind of going off what Robin said earlier about Ben Horn. I I do like the end credits of this episode. They're a little bit different, the different music. It's that throwback to Ben's scene. And I think it's it's just a a touching bit there. Home movies. Yeah, Yeah. I I like that. And and then also, I mean, at this point in the series, there's a lot less of Catherine Coulson and the log lady. Mm -hmm. And I I love the scene there at the reception where she goes up to Pete and she says, this cake is delicious. And then just keeps going. Like it, it's a great. Of course, scene. I used to, that was her husband. I mean, in real life, they were married. So it's to have that moment. Was mm-hmm. Pretty cool. I didn't know that. Okay. Yeah, they yeah. were married in real life. That's really sweet. And I also, Aaron, I wanted to hop on that because I did want to say comedically, Pete in the all these scenes at the wedding is mm-hmm. so funny, and he's barely saying yeah, he's anything, great. and all these people are talking to him in his face. <laughs> It's, it's ridiculous. It's so funny. Uh-huh. He was representing the audience at home watching yeah. this. Uh-huh. <laughs> I think the only other thing I mentioned here, I mean, so I don't think we mentioned Agent Hardy at all here. So it's a oh, Clarence yeah. Williams III and the bit where he meets up again with, with Norma Jennings or, or meets up again with Peggy Lipton, but they, they have yeah. that, you know, the slice of pie there. They were both on the mod squad. Mm-hmm. So it's, I think that's a cool little bit there. Yeah. I love that. I, I also think I'm probably not the best because when I watch some of these episodes, I'm just looking for funny stuff, which is maybe not the lens to watch it through. <laughs> maybe it is. But, but yeah. I also wanted to point out in episode 17, you brought this up earlier, but that scene where Ernie and Hank come into One Eye Jacks, rewatch that. It's the most ridiculous thing I've ever seen. They're like dressed up in hunting gear, they yeah. run in with these prostitutes on their back and they're like rah, rah, and it's like they <laughs> their butts the prostitutes leave and then they start wrestling it is the weirdest <laughs> we are mad <laughs> and they're out of breath and ernie's so old though i mean yeah, like so he's old. out of breath the rest of that scene he's like trying to catch his breath and he's doing his dialogue he's like <gasps> <sighs> yeah yeah it's hilarious it was so funny <laughs> Uh, I think the, the other scene they're just thinking of other just ridiculous stuff. I mean, where they take little Nikki out for the malted mm-hmm. and then little Nikki plays a little prank and Andy falls and then Dick says, oh yeah, Uncle Andy went funny boom boom, didn't he? Like, what, what show is this now? <laughs> oh. <laughs> Oh my god. Yeah, Joyce, a... if there's anything little Nikki you want to say, maybe that's kind of the segue. Yeah, well, there, if anybody but, yeah. can make a, a malted less Yummy, it's little Nikki. <laughs> oh, man. Anything. Um, I want to say something about uh, Evelyn, Evelyn Marsh. Uh, the dialogue and the acting, basically, the whole, the whole storyline is so not Twin Peaks. And I noticed that Evelyn Marsh talks a lot. And this, uh, Twin Peaks was on before this other show. But I think Evelyn Marsh was the the predecessor, the, the uh, ancestor, as you say, to um, Samantha Jones in Sex in the City. Because <laughs> everything she says is so lascivious, and she has that same cadence. The only thing is she's not funny yeah. or entertaining at all, but... <laughs> Man, the club's coming off. good to say you know. club's coming off. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Anything good about James and Evelyn, I can't. But yeah. she is Samantha Jones, mm. the the unfunny cousin of uh, almost identical cousin of Samantha Jones. <laughs> I think the two actors, Annette McCarthy and you know James uh, Marshall. I mean, I think they they did the best they could with what they were given there. I'd say. Yeah, I mean, I have nothing against the actors. Yeah, yeah. It just was a place we never wanted to go to. Yeah, <laughs> another convoluted story. Didn't need 22 episodes to, to right. tell the story. Yeah, it was a long season, especially compared to season one, and then all of a sudden, True, this right. huge they episode were working over, with, so, yeah. If you count the pilot, I guess it's eight episodes, 
mm-hmm. right? To go to eight episodes mm-hmm. to now saying we need you to make 22 episodes and, mm-hmm. and you can't talk about TV Laura Palmer was. anymore. It's yeah. got to be a new storyline. Right. Yeah. At, at the time, though, that was it was pretty normal, 22 to 24 episodes per season. Right. And it's only cable and streaming that made television more condensed. More the BBC, I think, I don't know when they started doing it. The, um, the BBC, like... They started doing shorter seasons too, especially I've seen it with comedy. I don't know when that happened. Well, this is so cool to have you guys on. I love that you all your performances. I think that's so awesome that you guys have been doing these unseen scenes. Yeah, yeah, great job, Jordan. I hope you keep doing this with us. That you keep keep doing these uh, scripts. Yeah, that is. And we, you have to have parts in the Ben and Brian. It's a, it's an order. I, we have to, Ben. I, I, I really mm-hmm. want to do a part, Ben. All Come right. On. We got to find the right part for us. We got to uh, find uh, right. something that's a, <laughs> I don't know if I'm like, uh, uh, if there's another principal part come up, maybe I'll do something. <laughs> I'll be the gym teacher. I'll do, I'll do anything. I want a part, Ben. I want a part. I don't think I have like one line or something like that. It'll be like, maybe like somebody who's sweeping is like, nope. <laughs> or you can be like a sound effect, like an owl. There you go. Oh, I like that. I know. I know. If I had more time, if I had more time, I would love to do like a full script where you have the doors creaking and you can have yeah, uh-huh. <laughs> sound of the owl. How, how can people follow you? I'm on Twitter as Joyce Picker and Facebook as Joyce Picker. And that's it. I'm not on I'm not MySpace anymore or Finster. Oh, no. <laughs> so weird. <laughs> That's great. Uh, I'm Robin. I You can find me on Twitter at Robin L. Norris. That's Robin with a Y. And on Instagram at Robin Lynn Norris. That's L-Y-N-N-E. So I'm making it hard for you. And I'm not on Friendster or MySpace anymore either. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm Aaron Cohen. You can find me mainly on Twitter at iMoveCar. And I am on both Friendster and MySpace. So just search for <laughs> No, I, I don't think I am, at least as far as I know. Uh, but but yeah, feel free to, to to look me up, interact with me. It's it's always great meeting other fans, and, and it's just fantastic. So thanks, Ben and Brian, for having us all. Yes, in. Thank, thank you, you. Oh, thank you, thank you, guys. Aaron, real quick, you, you what is it? I'm Car is the name of your your handle. Yeah, isn't that a that's a play on season three, right? Yes, yeah, so the the Polish accountant when uh, the whole episode sixteen when he comes up there and it's Chantel and Hutch. And he says to them, he says, oh, yeah, I, he says, you know, move out of the way. What are you doing in my space? And then, like, oh, no, move. They have a whole interaction. He says, okay, you know, I, I move car. And then right. he goes back. So that's, that's like, where it's going. You were, on Twitter, you were on Twitter before that, weren't you? I'm no, not, so I, I wasn't. I, oh, I actually, oh, wow. I came onto it very late. I missed wow. the entire. So I was I imagine on Facebook. You here all along. No, so yes, I'm, I was in different Facebook groups while season three was airing and chatting there. I, I missed the entire Twitter conversation of season three, every bit of it. And so it was oh. after the season ended. I think it was early 2018 where I made, where I got on Twitter for the first time. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, so it was, well, it was what, after that. Yeah. That's awesome. Well, I'm usually on Twitter and uh, Brian's usually on Facebook and that's, you know, where, where we are. Brian, do you want to give your spiel? I'll give my spiel if you want to give us a comment, question, or theory at twinpsyrap.gmail.com. Give us that five-star review at iTunes or on Spotify, uh, Google Play. And you can follow us on Twitter at Twin Peaks Unwrapped. Like us on Facebook. And we'll be back next week. Woo-hoo. Woo-hoo.